Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. Not every miracle is as dramatic as parting the Red Sea or giving sight to the blind. Sometimes a miracle is as simple as pulling a tool out of a river. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines just such a miracle as he continues his series, Elisha, the Double-Blessed Prophet. If you think your problems are too small for God, listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, An Ordinary Miracle. And thank you for joining us today. If you have your Bible at hand, you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll get back to our lesson there in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you that during this month, we're um, experiencing the pre-sale for a book that comes out on the first part of October. And um, this book is a, is a brand new thing that I've worked all year diligently uh, putting uh, all this information together to, to be helpful to all of our viewers and listeners. The book is called Where Do We Go From Here? And in this book, I deal with issues like socialism, uh, globalism, what does the pandemic mean, financial chaos, falling away. Uh, what what do we do uh, with all of the stuff that's happening in Jerusalem right now? Ten chapters. And the subtitle of the book is this, How the Prophecies of Tomorrow Help us understand the problems of today. It's an amazing thing to me to see this and to realize that God has given us many clues in the Scripture to help us understand what's going on right now. Now, you can get a copy of this book by ordering it now. We'll, we'll be sending it to you among the first that receive it. And in this book, you will not only find the material that I've talked about, but upon ordering Where Do You Go From Here, you will receive instant access to a digital download of the Guide to the Rapture and the Second Coming, which we put together, two audio messages, two Bible studies. This is only available until October the 5th. So pre-order, where do we go from here today? You can do that on your computer, and the book will be in your hands before you know it as we face the fall season together and the uh, rollout of this book, Where Do We Go From Here? Well, Where Do We Go From Here Today is back to 2 Kings chapter 6 and an ordinary miracle. So our story starts with a group of ordinary prophets letting Elisha know that they need a bigger place to live. And if you're following along in your Bible, it's interesting to note that this story is sandwiched in between two scenes in this book of international political foreign affairs military strategy, national crisis. On one side of this miracle is a national crisis. On the other side of this miracle is an international political intrigue. 
in the middle of these two major things is this story about one ordinary miracle. And it tells us that God is not just the God of the big things. He's the God of everything. He's the God of the hairs on your head. He's the God who cares about the needs in your life. We need to understand as men and women that while we cannot comprehend the omniscience of Almighty God, we can worship him for it and accept it by faith. The prophet Isaiah said this about God, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Did you hear what Isaiah said about God? He's the high and holy God who no man has ever been able to see and live. Yet in the same verse, we are told he is the God who cares about those who are going through sorrow, those who are in contrite spirit, those who are humble. He's the God of the great things and he's the God of the simple things. What a wonderful reminder that is for me and for you today. God promises to meet us right where we are and help us through whatever it is we're facing. Yes, miracles are for prophets. Miracles are for preachers. Miracles are for those who lead. But as we're going to learn in this story, miracles are also for ordinary people. God cares about ordinary people. Here's the second thing I want you to know. God cares about ordinary projects. In verses two through four, we learn that Elisha's students are facing a housing crisis. They said to their teacher, please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. And Elisha said, go. The plan was to travel to the Jordan River and collect timber for a building project. Elisha gave them the green light, but one of the students in the group wanted Elisha's presence in this journey. And you understand that when you're involved in some big deal and the person who's in the center of it, you want that person with you. And they wanted Elisha. Elisha represented the presence of God to these students. And verse 3 and 4 of 2 Kings 6 tells us, Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And Elisha answered, I will go. And so he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down the trees. Elisha's students wanted their teacher's blessing on their building project. And they also wanted his presence. So when Elisha assured them that he would go with them, they were encouraged and they stepped forward in faith. I think that this is a good reminder to all of us who do even what I do, that the projects we get involved with, if God is in them, he's obligated to help us through them. And I can tell you the stories of every one of those projects, how there was a time in the midst of all of them when I wondered, how is this ever going to happen? But I realized that when God calls you to do something, whether it's in ministry or to build a project like they did back here, in Second Kings, if God is in it, he will help you with it. God is not the kind of God who gets you caught up in some big project only to let you fall in the midst of it in defeat. 
Here's the key thing. Is this the will of God? If it is the will of God, you go forward in faith. You keep touch with God every step of the way, like Nehemiah did when he was rebuilding the wall, and you trust God to help you. James says it this way. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. There have been many times when I wasn't sure what the Lord wanted us to do. I remember one time taking a set of plans for a building we were about to build to a friend of mine who lived in Kansas City. He had built many buildings, and I had always been amazed at how he did it. I remember getting down on my knees and unrolling those architectural plans on the floor, and Truman and I got down on our knees and looked at those plans and prayed over them and said, Lord, if this is your plan for this church, make it plain to us. And he did, and we built the building. The psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So what I want to say to you secondly is God not only cares about ordinary people like all of us, he cares about ordinary projects. You may have a project you're working on right now in your service to the Lord. What I'm saying is if God is in it, he will show you. He's obligated to help you do what he calls you to do. He's not in some sort of game where he wants to embarrass you by getting you out on a limb and then cutting the limb off. He's with you all the way. So the first two things we've learned is that God cares about ordinary people and he cares about ordinary projects. But the core of this story is wrapped up in the third and final principle, and here it is. God cares about ordinary problems. Any of you have any ordinary problems? What happened here is almost amusing, and I must tell you before we finish reading this, this is probably the most assaulted miracle in the Bible. People who don't believe in the supernatural say this is absolutely ridiculous. This could never have happened, and they shine it, and they make an example out of it, and they say this is one of the reasons why I don't believe the Bible. Here's what happened. As one of the sons of prophets, verse 5, was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. In other words, this son of the prophet went to the Jordan, and he was cutting down some timber, and he had a borrowed axe, and he was working so hard, the axe head flew off the end of the handle and went into the Jordan River and went down to the bottom and he didn't know what to do. At this point in the story, it helps us to know how valuable iron tools were back in those days. By way of comparison, imagine borrowing a table saw from a friend and then watching it bounce off your pickup truck and land in the river. Or imagine borrowing the truck itself losing control of the steering wheel and crashing it to the bottom of a ravine. If the young prophet was like most students, he could barely scrape together enough money to pay for tuition. So when he saw the axe head whizzing through the air and plummeting into the watery grave, he had a sinking feeling, and he cried out to Elisha. 
given the high cost of iron tools in those days, especially in a relatively poor country such as Israel, the young prophet thought this would put him in prison. He would be an indentured servant. Little did he know that Elisha was about to perform his 11th miracle, a very ordinary but very strange miracle. Let me read to you from the scripture. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place where the ax head went into the water. And so Elisha cut off a stick and he threw it in there and he made the iron to float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he picked up the ax head from the water after Elisha made it float to the top. When Elisha heard about this problem, he took a piece of timber and threw it into the river. He wanted there to be a point of context. He didn't want anybody to say, well, it really wasn't at the bottom. No, he put the wood in the water where he was told the ax head had gone down. And somehow the iron ax head rose to the surface. And the young student picked it up, attached it to his ax handle, and went back to work. Now this is such a simple, matter-of-fact ending to the story. It really is Elisha's most ordinary and unusual miracle. In fact, the story is so unusual it could leave us wondering why in the world is it even in the Bible? And I want to tell you it's in the Bible to teach us a lesson. That nothing is too hard for God and that God cares about little things. You say, do you believe that happened, Dr. Jeremiah? Well, let me tell you what I do believe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If he wants to bring up an ax head from one of his rivers, I think he can pull it off. (laughs) Don't you? Amen. Now, do I expect to see that on a routine basis? No. You know why? Because if it's routine, it's not a miracle. Miracles are not everyday things that happen. This was at a particular time in history when God was using miracles to communicate to his people. But it proves to us, it proves to me, that here was a humble servant. He was doing the best he could to help in the project that God had anointed. And in the process, you know, you can fault him for not putting the axe head on the handle. I've done that once or twice. But the bottom line is he had a problem John Newton wrote these words. He said, not one concern of ours is small if we belong to him. To teach us this, the Lord of all once made iron to swim. What is he saying? God gives us these little glimpses into his power, these little pictures of what he's capable of doing. He doesn't do it all the time. We don't see that happen every day. I've never had anything quite as amazing as that happen in my life. But what I do know is this. Psalm 37 says it this way. The Lord takes care of the godly. Psalm 55 puts it this way. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Psalm 138 says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble. Here's what you need to know about the God to whom you have committed your life. He knows every need that you have. He cares about what troubles you, what your problems are, and he is able to do above and beyond all that you will ever ask or think. One of the things you can do to encourage your faith in this regard is to look up the scriptures in the Bible that talk about God helping us. I won't read them all, but let me just give you a sample. 
In 1 Samuel 7, the prophet Samuel led the Israelites in a victorious battle against the Philistines. And afterward, he erected a monument and called its name Ebenezer. Did you know that word came from the Bible? And here's what the word Ebenezer means. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer means the Lord helps us. Years later, King Hezekiah encouraged his people during the Assyrian evasion, telling them, with our Lord God, there is one to help us and to fight our battles. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. And Hebrews 13.5 and 6 says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. We're never as helpless as we feel. For we have unhindered access through Jesus Christ to the throne of power and glory in heaven. And the Bible says when we go that way, we find grace to help us in the time of need. And so the Bible encourages us with these words. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We're all ordinary people. But we do not have an ordinary God. Our God is extraordinary. And that means he cares about every need that we have. I can't comprehend him. If I could comprehend God, I would be his equal. I will always be in awe and the majesty of God. What little I do know about him is just overwhelming to me. He cares about us. He goes before us. He provides the needs that we have. I know that some of you are cycling back through your life and remembering those moments when God met you and helped you, when you didn't know what to do, but you felt his presence in your life. All of us have stories like that. And I thought I would tell you one of my stories. I met my wife when we were in college, and after we graduated in 1963, we were married I had been called to the ministry. I knew that was true. I didn't know anything about the ministry, so I needed to go get some training. We were accepted at the Dallas Seminary. I remember the day we packed up our little U-Haul it and pulled our trailer down there, and we got an apartment. We didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know what this was until I went down there. We got an apartment with a Murphy bed in it. If somebody knocked at the door after going to bed hours, you had to get right up and quickly put the bed back together so you could go to the door and talk to somebody because the Murphy bed was in the only main room that we had. We didn't have a lot of money, just to make that point very clear. And we didn't realize that even though we got jobs early on in our time there, we did not stop to think about the fact that you usually don't get paid for at least two weeks after you get a new job. So about halfway through the second week, we were out of everything. We had no money. We had determined, kind of as an agreement between us, that we wouldn't call our parents unless we were totally desperate. We were living in this little apartment across the street was the grocery store. I don't know if they have those here, but back then the grocery store was called Piggly Wiggly. That was the name of the grocery store. And we used to walk across the street with our handful of change and try to figure out what we could find in the grocery store that would get us through another night of food. I can tell you right now how much Kraft 
TV macaroni and cheese dinners cost back then. I remember counting it out on the counter. And to this day, I cannot stand the thought of spam. But somehow spam and macaroni and cheese got us through some tough days. We still had time before we were going to get our money, and I didn't know what to do. One day I came home from school, and there was a letter there for me from the Miami Deposit Bank, which was in Cedarville, Ohio, where I went to college, where I grew up. I had an account there, and as we were preparing for our wedding and making sure we had everything ready after our honeymoon to go to to school, I closed that account. I did it rather quickly. I wasn't very careful about it. And I got a call when we returned from our honeymoon telling me that my bank account was overdrawn by almost $800. I couldn't comprehend that. I couldn't imagine how that could be true. But I didn't have enough evidence to prove that it wasn't true. And I knew how crazy everything had been. And so I just assumed I must have not been thinking what I'm doing. And I overcharged this account. I never had done it before nor since. So I had to go in and give them almost a thousand dollars, eight hundred and some dollars of the money that I thought we would need when we got to Dallas. So we got to Dallas. And as I mentioned to you, we were running out of food and we didn't know what to do. And, you know, we weren't about to be homeless, but it was serious. I get this letter from the Miami Deposit Bank, and this is what it said. Dear David, in our monthly audit, we discovered that we had posted one of your deposits to your father's account. We are returning that money to you in this letter. Please forgive us for our mistake. And I got my 800 bucks back. And I realized later God knew that if I had taken that with me, I wouldn't have taken very good care of it. So he put it in his bank and he sent it to me at just the right time. Now, you know, that's a silly little story, a little ordinary thing that God did. But you have your stories too. What I want to tell you is there's nothing too small for you to talk to God about it. There's nothing so insignificant that God wouldn't be interested. Let me tell you something. If he cares about the hairs on your head, there's not anything going on in your life that he isn't concerned about. And he is your consultant. He is your go-to person. He's the one who is your helper. Hitherto the Lord has helped you, says the scripture. You face these days when you still have a lot of questions. Maybe some of you have not been able to go back to work yet, or you don't know if you're going to have work when you go back. Let me ask you to bring it to the Lord. It's amazing to me as a pastor how many times people have shared with me their problem and asked me if I would pray for them. And when I ask them, have you prayed to God about this? They tell me, no, that's why I'm asking you to do it. I want to tell you, I don't have any more standing before God than you do. I'm not in the front of the line or in the middle of the line. I'm just before the Lord as you are. You have every bit as much efficacy before Almighty God in your prayers as Billy Graham had, as I have, as anybody has that stands before you to teach you. So before you do anything else, tell God about your problem. Tell him what your need is. Give him an opportunity to help you and show you he's still doing miracles today, friends. And he may have one stored up for you, but you better ask him about it. And when you do, make sure you take good notes. Someday you may have to stand in front of a group like this one 
and you'll need a story like the one I just told you to illustrate what you're saying. You know, life is so full of stories. I need to tell you, I'm a avid San Diego Padre fan, and I was at the uh, Padre game last night, and I was sitting in my chair, and this woman who was serving food around us came up and sat down by me, and there was an empty chair there. She said, are you David Jeremiah? And I said, yes, I am. She said, I've been out of prison for just a short period of time, and while I was in prison, somebody gave me a copy of your magazine, and I read that magazine and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. She said, I've been out of prison now. I've gone to celebrate recovery. I've been free from drugs for all these months since I've been out. I can't believe you're sitting in this chair and I'm serving you food at a Padres game. Well, you know, connections like that happen, and they just remind you again of how many stories there are that we never hear and how many stories out there that that glorify God and honor Jesus Christ and explain in terms that you can't make up the power of the gospel to change somebody's life. I'm so grateful to be in this work where we deal every day with things eternal, the souls of men, and the Word of God. Well, tomorrow we're going to take a moment and talk about experiencing God's protection. I would imagine that would be something you'd be interested in, especially during these days, so don't miss tomorrow's program as we continue the study of Elisha. And then before we say goodbye, uh, another reminder of our tour to the Holy Land, March 22nd through April the 1st. We already have several hundred people who have registered for this event. We're going to be visiting uh, Galilee, the Golan Heights, the northern boundary, the Lord Jordan, Jerusalem and the Old City, Judean Wilderness, the Dead Sea, Masada, all of the incredible places. We'll each be on our own special bus with our own captain, our own guide, and uh, we'll have a great time. There's a lot of information about the Holy Land available on our website, so go there, get the information and plan to go with us to Israel in March of 2022. See you next time. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2022, Moving Toward Hope, filled with scriptures and images to encourage your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Elisha, the Double Blessed Prophet, here on Turning Point. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Someone has said that the dangerous thing about bad habits is that they start out like silken cobwebs and end up being like steel cables. St. Augustine put it another way. 
habit, if not resisted, soon becomes necessity. But the good thing is that a bad habit can be replaced by a good habit. A habit is neither good nor bad. It is simply a repetitive thought or activity to which we have become accustomed or even dependent. In that case, good habits like Bible study, prayer, positive speech, kindness, exercise, healthy eating, and more are well worth cultivating. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover habits that will draw you close to God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.